Is it possible to connect with anybody at all and have a conversation that enriches our lives? I'm Andrew Reese, and welcome to the experiment. This is Hello Stranger. Each episode is a conversation, nothing more, nothing less, with someone that is or used to be a stranger. I am so excited for you to hear this conversation with Chris. I met him at a personal development event by a guy called Tony Robbins, and the event was called UPW. And I don't exactly remember when I first saw Chris, but we just started chatting, and he seemed like a really cool guy, so we kind of became friends from there. And, you know, once every couple of months, one of us would call the other person up and just be like, Hey, man, how you doing? What are you up to? And on one of those calls, I said to Chris, Hey, man, I'm starting a podcast didn't know it would be called Hello Stranger at that point, but I knew I was starting a podcast and I asked him to come on. So we talk about a lot in this episode, but in my mind, the, the central theme is this idea of, you know, we go through a lot in our lives and how can we design a future and design a life that isn't a reaction to that and a reaction to past events and situations and experiences, but really just something fresh and something that comes from what I kind of like to view as a blank canvas. See, in my mind, life is an ongoing process of two things. There's getting to a blank canvas where we put aside the things that may have happened to us, where we put aside the the rules of society and culture and norms, or maybe it's our own personal rules. And then taking that canvas and painting and living vividly and doing the things we want to do and loving deeply. And, you know, I don't feel like we ever get to... Uh, a completely blank canvas but for me life's an ongoing journey of getting to a blank canvas and painting so with uh with that little rant aside before the episode does start i do want to say a, a few quick things um one i do just want to acknowledge that it's been a few weeks since the last episode episode four with max and i'm sorry uh never you know when i look back a month ago would i have imagined that what's happened in my life would have happened uh and equally i am really committed to sharing these episodes i'm really proud of this conversation i'm really proud of all the you know there's 19 in total that have been recorded i'm really proud of all of them and so i really do just appreciate your patience for everyone that's been messaging me on instagram and i can definitely say that you know i'm a bit more grounded now i found my feet for those who don't know i uh moved out of home and bought a van and i've kind of traveling up and down the coast of Australia, but I'm here and I'm here to stay and I'm going to be releasing at least one episode a week for the next little while. I'm going to be more active on social media again. I'm going to be replying to all the messages that I haven't had a chance to reply to yet. And, you know, you'll hear about what's been going on in my life in future episodes, but I'm just so grateful to be here and, and to have the opportunity to wake up in the morning and see another sunrise and be safe and, and to smile. And that's the second thing I wanted to mention quickly is just simple hellos and smiles. You know, there's this saying in Hello Stranger that on the other side of hello, anything is possible. And I've had those experiences today. I mean, just this morning, I was making myself a cup of peppermint tea and this old dude came over. His name was Ian. And it turns out he travels around the world in a backpack. So we both hopped on top of the van and we had some tea and I remember just seeing another really old lady walk past and smile. And she'll never know just how much her simple smile made my day. So 
if you're walking around today, wherever you are, even if you're, I guess if you're wearing a mask, it's kind of hard, but you know what? Smile, smile anyway, because you never know if you're just going to affect one person's day just a little bit. So with all that said, uh, I'm going to get into the episode now. And like I said, it's about, you know, really designing a life that isn't a reaction to your past. And we both talk a lot about our future families and lives and careers, which is kind of ironic as we're both very young, but it's a really profound conversation and I hope you enjoy it. So here it is. I was at Business Mastery in America for Tony Robbins and a guy, Jesse Eisler, he was talking about, um, and this has helped me so much, especially coming into like something new. He's like, not knowing how to do it can be your biggest asset because him and his partner, I don't know if you've heard of Jesse Eisler before. I love him. Yeah, He amazing. is the man. I've seen him live. It's unreal. He's so good. And then he's married to um, the Spanx lady. Have you heard of her before? I can't remember what her name is. I have. Yeah. 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 So both of those, they both like they spoke for about an hour each. So it was about, oh, maybe it was like, I don't know. It was a long time. Felt really quick because it was so uh, really, really good. But their whole um, sort of, um, sort of, oh, what's the word? What they were saying was while they're up on stage is basically that like not knowing how to do it can be your biggest asset because you'll do it differently to everybody else. So like the Spanx lady, she didn't actually have like a plan on how to sell everything. She just went and did it. She's like, okay, how would I do it if I was doing it, right? And then she went in and like she made she um, organized people to buy her Spanx off the shelf. She went in and just reorganized it without permission. And then Jesse Eisler like um, talked his way into like big uh, big parties and like sat next to next to people that he wasn't like officially allowed to be are sitting next to and in places but the cool thing is like they didn't have a structured way to do it because they were just like sweet how would i do it and then that's that's the different that's the point of difference between everybody else in the market that's doing it as well i love that the story from jesse that stood out to me over a long period of time and i don't even remember where i read it was the one about uh he was trying to i think he was trying to start his jet uh, yeah, that's the one. Business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was, I think he was trying to get into a TED event and he couldn't because it was fully sold out. And so he thought, okay, what can I do? And so he decided to go into a nearby coffee shop and he decided to buy all the muffins, every single muffin there, because he thought, you know, people are likely to congregate here and people might want to buy muffins or pastries or whatever it was, right? And so then he just sat down at a table and he had all these muffins in his bag and someone comes in and eventually, you know, the person that comes in decides that they want a muffin and, uh, the barista says, Hey, we actually don't have any muffins. And so he then strikes up a conversation with that guy and, and says something along the lines of, Hey, I couldn't help but overhear that, you know, you wanted a muffin. I actually have a spare one. Do you want it? And, the guy says, yeah, man, that'd be great. By the way, what do you do? And then he can get into his pitch and share his vision. And that's what led to his first big client, which, which, you know, had a kind of snowball effect. And there's no book or structure or model that's going to tell you to go do like buy muffins and do something so left field like that. Like he never would have read that in any book or anything like that. He's just like, sweet, how am I going to do it? What's an opportunity? You know, how's, how's, yeah, he didn't, he didn't like have a mentor to tell him, this is how you get opportunities in TED conferences. He's just like, sweet, how do I do it? And then goes, buys all the muffins and then starts up conversation like that. So I think the fact that you don't have it structured and laid out in like a super strict model 
is going to help you utilize that creativity side of you as well. A hundred percent. And it's also going to help me come up with something that I love and that's unique and special because, you know, I, in my time of let's already get super strategic, even though I, I kind of decided that I didn't want to do that. Uh, I Googled like how to become a better podcast host. And I looked at a few links and by the end of reading the third article I stumbled upon, I realized that I kind of didn't need to consume that. And that most of the stuff in there was relatively basic stuff or it was insights that I'd worked out in the first few episodes by making mistakes and then learning from them. And then I realized to take it back even further that for me, this isn't a podcast and what, you know, what is a podcast? And often podcasts are, uh, when you have people that interview a group of experts in their field and have a specific niche and pull together that insight in a really cool format. For me, I believe that I could do this with every single person in the world. Uh, you know, one of the really cool episodes that I'm going to record is literally just a stranger that I met on the street yesterday walking around and he was super friendly, the most friendly of any person I've yeah. passed by <laughs> walking around. That's so I doubled so cool. back, kept my social distance and was like, Hey man, can I talk to you for 30 seconds? Told him vaguely about what this is because I still don't even yeah. fully know what this is. <laughs> yeah. And, I'm going to be having a, a conversation with him today or tomorrow, which I'm stoked about. So I almost feel like the the best and some of the most interesting conversations will come from people that maybe we don't or society generally doesn't see as interesting and uh, people that have very different views. And, and so it's going to be, it's going to be a fun journey, man. And uh, I'm, I'm really stoked to have you a part of it. And the cool thing about us and our relationship, because, you know, we met at UPW. Tony Robbins, mm. UPW. That was the best thing ever. Yeah. yeah. I tried to save you a seat next to me. Yeah. How did we, how did we, did I just see you somewhere and you, then say hi? You just or? came straight up to me. You just like, I think we're at some, we're at some point of like breaking through all our limiting beliefs. And we, I think everyone had just like, you know, you, you do like a, a, I don't know, some sort of spiritual freaking mental breakthrough that we're there. And then I just remember like seeing you, you just ran up to me and you was like, Hey, and just super excited. And obviously like, like such an empowered state. Um, yeah. And then I don't, I can't remember after that, but I just remember kicking on like that. And then you tell me about, um, all your friends and your, all these different people that are doing these different things. I'm like, Holy fuck. I need to like, you know, get to know this person and get to know. And then you'll tell me what you do and like how you meet all these people. And I'm like, that's just like, that's a skill that just, yeah, you just sound like super awesome and amazing and i remember us going upstairs and then you you wanted you're like yeah come get a photo of me and these guys at the firewalker thing this guy does this and this guy does that and i'm like um, right i remember then, that yeah and then i was interested in like building like a coaching side of business because that's what i do all the time anyway and then you introduced me to another person he's got like a four four model or um coaching business as well um and then yeah i was talking to him for a little bit and then after that yeah i can't can't really remember it's just uh, all amazing <laughs> I remember trying to save a seat for you next to me uh, and and then I think some lady took that seat and then I was just like, all right, I got to be aware of where Chris is in the room that way I can connect with him in the next break because a big priority for me during that event was connecting with 
young people with similar views and that are doing really cool things with their lives because I find that there's a lower density, especially in terms of people our age that are thinking this way and, and doing a bunch of stuff uh, as opposed to say someone in their thirties and forties. And while I massively, massively value the relationships I have with people that are just that little bit older than me and I wouldn't be one tenth of where I am today not that I am anywhere particular, but I'm kind of really proud of how far I've come. And uh, they made such a difference to me. But at the same time, man, like I love connecting with people that are the same age. And so one of my key intentions at that event was to literally, every time I saw a person that looked about my age, that I would immediately go and strike up a conversation and go out of my way to form a connection with them, yeah. which is what I did with you. Yeah, that's. I remember you saying that too. Like your your vision is to connect the young people um, that think that different that different way as well. And uh, we, you know, we don't speak every day. We don't speak every week. We don't even speak every month. But we've spoken on and off. Uh, what? We've probably had seven or eight conversations since since we first met. Maybe yeah. nine or ten. Yeah, probably ten. There. Probably up there. Yeah. I, I love the fact that when I speak with you, it almost feels like like I'm aware of what's happening in my life and what's happening in your life. Because when I look in the mirror every day, I don't see too much change, right? You know? Uh, I, like I was telling you, one of the kind of weird random experiments I've done with coronavirus was shaving my head. And now that it started to grow back and it's, it's at a, how, how long is it? Maybe half a centimeter. I wake up the next day and I'm like, all right, it looks half a centimeter. I wake up the day after. I'm like, all right, it looks half a centimeter. I look at myself, uh, in the mirror and I don't see much change. And if I remove the mirror though, and I decided that I'm only going to put that mirror up once a month for a day, then I would notice a lot more change. And that's what's really beautiful with, with us and our relationship is that it's so easy to, to be hard on myself and not realize how I'm growing. And it's so easy to, to just kind of jump into life and, and, and see time passing, but not see the progress. And so when we chat, it's, it's kind of like, I haven't, uh, I haven't had that mirror in front of me every day. So and, and I'm seeing things for the first time, even though they've been there. And that's really beautiful, man. I, I, I really love how we just, we just like go there. We go deep really quick and it's like, okay, cool. This is life. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. That's what I love about ours. Like we don't touch base every day, but when we do like we recap everything that happened and you're like, holy fuck, like a lot actually happened in the last two, three months. I made this transition, that transition. Um, yeah. And I, I reckon that's pretty good too. Yeah, man. I'm keen to find out a bit more about you uh, in terms of something that we haven't really spoken about. Yeah, before. go for it. Let's let, let's talk, let's talk about let's talk about yeah let's let let's go way back. Let's go way back. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'm gonna get you to close your eyes. Okay. Breathe out. Now take a slow breath in for about four seconds. Hold it at the top. Whenever you get there, and then just breathe out really slowly, keeping your eyes closed. And keeping your eyes closed, I want you to think for a moment a year back, where you were a year back. And then when you've got that in your head, I want you to go five years back. Where were you? Even just 
where did you live five years back? And then 10 years back. And now I want you to go and think about the earliest memory you ever have when you were a kid. Take some time. There's no right answer. You know, maybe, maybe it's when you were one, probably not though. Maybe it's when you were 10, but whatever, whatever comes up, a, a, an early memory. And when you have it, feel free to take your time. Uh, you can, you can open your eyes and I'm, I'm keen to keep hear what, uh, what came up. So earliest memory, I think, I don't know how old I was, but I remember, I specifically remember, um, I think there was two, I think it was before, and okay, the one, yeah, this one, I think it was before I was in school. So I think I was in like before, I got one of like prep and then I've got one. So basically when I was really young, I don't know how old I was. I'm pretty sure it was before I was in school. Um, we went fishing on a, you know, jetty. It's like a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I fell off and then I got like, uh, I fell into the water and then I got attacked by like, uh, like a, like a snapping turtle or something. <laughs> And then he like scratched and I like cut all the side of my body up um, on like, I don't know, rocks or coral or the side of the jetty or something. And I just remember getting like lifted out by my dad by like, one arm and then being like thrown in a bath and then, yeah, washing all the thing and just seeing like this big cut from like my arm down to my leg on the side of my body. That's, uh, I think that's my earliest memory. Obviously, you know, you can see why I remember it. <laughs> yeah wow yeah because that, w- that would have been intense yeah uh, I think, coming, yeah, go yeah i think so well i mean i remember it so <laughs> it must have been pretty uh, eventful so i think that was that was way back when yeah before uh, before school i think yeah well where where were you living then no clue i was living with um, I don't remember my, yeah. So my life was pretty, um, all, all over the shop at that age. Cause I was living with my grandma, uh, grew up with my grandma, obviously. And then, um, my mom, I was with my mom and my dad on the, on the, on the, yeah, on the jetty. And then we were with my mom and my dad's friends there at my mom's friend's house. So I would have been living like in Logan cause that's where I grew up. Um, and then I would have been living with my grandma and then on, seeing my mum on the weekend and then we went out to the jetty we used to go fishing all the time with my dad back when i was super young yeah wow okay so you lived with your grandma but then you used to kind of see some of your parents on the weekend and you used to go fishing with your dad a lot walk me walk me through that dynamic so like, so i live with my grandma yeah basically my mum uh was in is in na which is like narcotics anonymous like aa for drugs so she was on a lot of that when i was super young um so i grew up with my grandma um for the for my whole life which is amazing super grateful for that um she's an amazing woman and then um i see my mom every second weekend and then she lived with my dad so i see my mom and my dad every second weekend um all the way my whole life growing up wow so so even though because your dad was fine, right? Or was he also kind of a part of the NA stuff as um, well? Yeah, he was NA as well. So it was my mum and dad. So basically, live with my grandma for my whole life growing up and then um, see my mum every second weekend. And then my dad passed away when I was like 9 or 10 or 8, around there, 8, 9 or 10. So then I saw my mum every second weekend and then she got a new partner. And then they had like um, stepbrother, little kid boys and kids. So they were like stepbrothers and stuff growing up. 
So that was the dynamic. And then my mum's like, um, I'm 22. My mum's like 19 or 18, 18 like years clean sort of thing. So yeah, my, she's all good though. Amazing. Dude, I, I'm so, I'm so happy to hear that your mum's all good yeah. and all clean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that that must have been really hard for her as well mm. with, with your dad passing. Yeah. Right? So yeah, I don't know. They were both sort of on a bad spiral and then obviously a lot of, uh, narcotics and drugs and that. Wow. Mm. I, I love the fact, especially given you've shared what you've just shared, that one of your earliest memories is, uh, being on the jetty with your dad and, and that you have those fond memories of going fishing and everything that you did with him. Yeah. I think that's really special. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. But, um, that, yeah, that's gotta be my earliest memory. What about you? What's your earliest memory? What's my earliest memory? Have you done that exercise a few times? I feel like you would have. I haven't. I, yeah, let me, let me just close my eyes for a second and, and see what comes up. Breathe in. I remember being on the farm where I grew up and there was this lady that used to come and look after us. I think her name was Leash or something like that. And uh, she, we had this room downstairs in the basement where there were animals that she painted. She, she painted a big, uh, a big giraffe and uh, maybe a lion or something like that. And I don't know why, but I just remember this one moment where I think she was bringing, bringing me some food. It might've been macaroni and cheese or something like that. And I was just out on her, on her back porch looking over the farm fields and yeah, man, just, just playing around, just having fun. Nice. That's what comes up for me. Nice. How old were you then? Do you reckon? Was that before school? Yeah, that would have probably been before school. I maybe three or four. It's funny how we can like only remember back up. Well, it's funny how we can remember back to then. That's a pretty good. That's a pretty good jump from where we are now to all the way back to three and four. The other the other memory I can remember is I was in um, daycare once. This is before school as well. And you know those like tin cans, and then they've got two strings, and you like just walk around on tin cans. I, I don't know why, but that was like the most amazing thing ever. I remember being in daycare when I was like three or four, same thing. And then my grandma come to pick me up from daycare and I was so like disappointed because I had to leave. I just like, I was, I was just walking around on these tin cans and then I was just so disappointed I had to leave. I was like, no. So that's, uh, yeah, those two earliest memories as well. Yeah. I love, I love the fact that, uh, that I have that memory because the farm for me was a really beautiful place, you know, uh, we had about 80 or 90 acres and we had, we had some cows on it and we had all different, uh, sorts of like paths and walkways and we had a forest in the back and we used to plant, what? uh, trees and, and I, I don't know what kind of key birthdays we planted trees for, but we planted, there's a tree that was planted, for example, when I was four years old or something like that, when I was eight years old. And, uh, it's such a beautiful place. And when we moved to Australia in 2010, that was, that was a really hard time period for me. 
really hard because I felt like I, I really loved my life in Canada at that point. And, you know, like, obviously, let's, let's, let's get the, the elephant in the room out of the way, which is like, yeah, totally grass is greener on the other side. And that totally exists. And I was probably over idealizing it given I no longer had it. But, but how old were you at way, the time as well? 2010, you'd be like 10 or 12. 11. Yeah, 11. Yeah, yeah. yeah 11. So. <laughs> right in the middle. Yeah, 11, you're not really thinking grass is greener. You know, you haven't got that big mindset. But yeah, so understandable. Yeah, it was it was weird when we left. Uh, I originally didn't want us to leave Canada because I, I loved it. Loved it so much. And I I remember when my mom first brought up the fact that we were going to move to Australia and she said we were going to move for a year and my whole family. So me, my younger brother, younger sister, and my dad and my mom were sitting around our kitchen table and we were having some sort of chicken something for dinner. Might've been just little chicken bits fried up and my mom brought that up and I just remember crying, man, crying. I didn't, I didn't want to do that. And Either later that night or a few days later, uh, my mom asked me to help her scan a document or photocopy a document, which was the signed contract for the job she was going to take on for a year in Queensland. And uh, I I literally just ripped it up. Oh. <laughs> and she had to print it again and, and, and sort it out again because I didn't want to go. And the moment we left, man, this, all, this moment will, will never be ever taken out of my memory um we there was a van that would take us to the airport and so that van rocked up and we all got in it and it was january so there was still snow on the streets and it was a cold winter's day and for whatever reason i don't know whose idea it was we invited a bunch of close friends and family uh and they all, we said goodbye to them and, and kind of last words and, and hugged them. And then they, they lined up on the laneway, lined up on the driveway. We had this beautiful driveway that might have been maybe 150 meters long. Uh, you'd have the, the beautiful kind of fields on the left. And so people lined up on this driveway. And I remember getting in the van and we drove down the driveway passing all these people. We had our cousins there, my grandmother there, some of my close friends, I think maybe even a teacher from my school. And that moment feels like it was really slow. It, you know, it probably only lasted 15 seconds, 10 seconds, but that moment was really slow driving past. And uh, yeah, man, I've been able to go back to Canada. You know, it was originally planned to be a one-year thing, but I was able to go back for the first time in, I think it was 2017. And by then, the friends that I grew up with were in university, which was crazy. I, when I knew them, they were in year six. And, you know, by then, my my parents had split up and my dad was living back at the farm, yet... I still have really fond memories, even, you know, all the way up to my last trip uh, to Canada, which was about a year ago, of the deck was no longer there now, and there were just some concrete postings. Uh, Dad wanted to get a new deck built, but kind of hasn't sorted that out yet. And I still love that view, man. I still love that view of 
being outside and looking and, and seeing uh, the house is kind of up on a mini hill. And you look down and you see the fields and you see some trees and, and there's kind of a, a railway track on the far right. You'll occasionally see the, the trains go back past. I used to run out in the fields as a kid to see the trains when they go past. And yeah, man, I just remember just sitting out there and just being happy and, and just feeling it. And, you know, I have no, uh, no desire now to go back and fix things or change things. I'm, I'm really happy with life is with where my life is now, but yeah, how it was those, a special place. How are those um, connections when you went back to Canada with like that 10 or seven year gap? How were they? Was it like, you know, awkward when you, because I'm guessing you went back to your friends and caught up with them because at university, how was just, how was that whole interaction? Was that just like, you know, new and interesting? Was it awkward or how that was it like interesting? Like you, you thought that they would do something, and then they ended up being something completely different. Or I think the thing that surprised me the most was how hard it was to actually make contact with people. Because you know, I'd gone on and lived my life mm, as and you moved around Australia as you do, and it had been like eight years, and. I never really thought about the fact that other people had probably done that as well. And so I thought they'd, they'd been at university. They'd be at university, you know, some of them or traveling or at college or whatever path was right for them and, and whatever kind of path they chose to head down. But people were all around the country. You know, it wasn't like they were a 15-minute drive away. It wasn't like they were an hour drive away. And some people uh, I made contact with really quick and – it was so cool to connect with them. I actually threw an event uh, before I left Canada the the first time I went back to that area that I was from, and I had a bunch of friends from school show up. I don't know how many exactly it was. I think it was about 15, 20. Wow. It's got good. a lot of effort That's good. to pull that together. They're not contacting me from eight years to getting 15, 20 people show up to your event. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. some people shared it around widely once I got in touch with people that were still in touch with other people. And would I say uh, I've been in touch regularly with a bunch of people from that? No, no, like n not at all. And, you know, maybe I follow them on Instagram. And uh, if I end up spending more time in Canada, I'd love to properly reconnect with them. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's about it. I have a few that I'm really close with. And funnily enough, two of them, one's name is Winston and the other guy's name is Mark. Every time I've gone back to Canada, which has been, I think three times in the past, uh, three or four years, we've had a fire, like a bonfire, uh, out in a bonfire pit, which is basically has that same view that I was talking about of, of the deck. It, it's very similar view. And it's been almost a yearly thing of a tradition of we all just, so they're on a fire, and we make this fire big, man. Do you like, make it in your old uh, house, or you just make it on the beach? No, literally, like at, at our farm, because we had a lot, lot of land and a lot of trees that get cut down. Uh, my buddy Mark, the last time we did it, or the last two times he did it, his family owns a, a greenhouse business, and so they bring a bunch of their old pallets, and we see how high we can stack them. And then blow the fire. Has, yeah, it, it gets about 10 feet high at, at least in peak. Yeah, uh, 
that was one of the things moving to Australia where, you know, there's more fire bands and, and, and also you just have smaller properties, uh, that I missed was having these big gigantic fires. Yeah. Wow. So different culture. It's, 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 it's diff, diff, yeah. Is that what you want for your kids? Like a big farm, uh, big acreage, things like that. Reminisce on the same sort of view, uh, that you had when you were there. Oh, we're going, we're going deep now. <laughs> um, when we left Australia, I, sorry, when we left Canada, I kind of decided that I wanted to raise my family in that same farm that I had grown up in. And that's still what you want though. So, well, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm less attached. I, I think I used to be really attached and a lot more sentimental and now I'm okay with less. Now I'm okay with flowing more and having less possessions and uh, not being so fixated on the past and instead creating more memories and things in the future. I think if we, I, I hope that we still have that farm. I think that could be really cool. But if we don't, I'm going to be perfectly okay with that. Uh, you could create your uh, own farm as well. And create, I create my own farm. Yeah, in the future, five, ten years, you can create your own farm, uh, your own memories and your own sort of, you know, setup as well. It was a beautiful location because it was, we had a lot of land, but we were a few minutes drive from like a small, I guess, suburb, uh, 15, 20 minutes drive from a medium suburb, something the size of, uh, I don't know. It, it's hard because the whole landscape is kind of different in Canada, but um, not Sydney. So maybe just like Newcastle yeah, or maybe like a city, uh, like, yeah, like a city. And, and then an hour's drive from a super big city like Sydney or Brisbane. That's pretty good. Uh, so, and we had all this land, right? So it wasn't like because we lived on a farm, we were detached mm-hmm. from opportunities. We were still close by to mm-hmm. everything. So, so yeah, both. when I have a family, yeah, best of both worlds. When I have a family uh, and when I have kids, I think I would like to have some form of a decent amount of land. It doesn't have to be obviously as much as that, but even just 10 acres would be really cool. Uh, and still within a reasonable drive of a city uh, and, and small towns. I, I like the proximity to opportunities and I like being connected to the world. And, and um, yeah, you, yeah, you don't want to be I, fully disconnected because when you, I've seen people, they like the really small country towns, they've got heaps of land, but then they're like four hours away from any city. You can't really build and connect and socialize and build your network, build your net worth, build your business. You can't really build anything out there except for build the farm by you and yourself and your family. So it's like, you can't really, yeah, you need, I like cities because there's more opportunity. Yeah. And, and like, maybe that's okay if that's the life you decide you want to live, uh, you know, and, and you just want to go all remote. I, I don't think I want that. Um, there's a part of me that would love to just, you know, uh, have a have a partner and and I think I mentioned this on on the last episode we did. Um, have a partner, uh, get a beautiful house in in the woods, or maybe even uh, by the beach, or maybe one in the woods, one by the beach, and one in the mountain, and kind of rotate around and um, and and just go and live life like that, and not a care in the world, not worry about building anything out at all, any ideas, any businesses, any whatever. And then there's another part of me that's like, I want to be in it. I want to build something massive. I want to have a huge impact. And I feel like I've been able to reconcile that both those like kind of polar opposites. Um, and, and, and I'm okay with somewhere in the middle, or maybe I'll end up, 
maybe it'll be funny. Maybe I'll listen to this 10 years from now and I'll be completely one, uh, one way or the other. Uh, but sounds yeah, like you can we'll do see. both like that one side that's pulling towards like, you know, having three different houses, three different locations and just relaxing and hanging out with your partner, just doing basically whatever you want. That sounds like a lot of, you know, financial freedom and, and no responsibilities having like, you know, things paid for your bills and your lifestyle paid for without having to, you know, go to work or having to work on your business. But when you get to that point, I feel like we'll work because we want to, not because we have to. And then that's when you're, your 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 mentality of like oh, i want to build something really big and scale it that's when they're kicking a the gear because you're doing something one passionate and you're doing it because you want to not because you have to you know what i mean like for a long time like yeah, a lot of people working because they want because they have to not because they want to pay the bills good work and then what we're working towards if we hit that financial freedom so because i want a similar thing where i want like a house in hawaii i want a house in uh california i want a house like in thailand for example I don't have much invested interest in Australia because I've been here for 22 years. Nothing wrong with it, but I've just done my dash. You know what I mean? I'm like, there's a whole world out there that I can see. So I have those three different houses. But I was thinking about it before and I read Tony Robbins' book, like Money, Master the Game. And he talks a lot about like, I want to have like super yachts and just live this lifestyle where I'm not doing anything. And he's like, realistically, like if you own like a super yacht or whatever, like how many weeks of the year are you actually going to use it? I'm like, yeah, well, that's actually a good point. Like if I spend 50 million on like owning a super yacht and just relaxing, I'm not going to use it like, you know, for 52 weeks of the year. I'll probably use it like two weeks or three weeks or something. You know what I mean? Because if you get that point, then unless you were doing something that you want to do, then I guess you get bored. 100%. And that's been the case for me where, you know, once I slowed down and once I really looked at my attention span and my relationship with technology, uh, then I was like, man, I want to do something. And I came up with this idea. And for me, this idea isn't necessarily about having a massive vision and, and wanting to grow or scale at all. I'm just, it's valuable for its own sake. If this becomes nothing, if we lose this recording, or if either of us is like, oh man, we, we open up too much. I don't feel comfortable sharing. That is completely fine because the priority is just having a conversation and it's an end in and of itself. It's not a means to something. Um, yeah, I, I love, I love the way you think about this kind of thing. I, th I think we have a lot of similar values around uh, the desire to build build a life around what we love, and this desire to let go of norms, let go of rules, let go of contract constructs, and and dig deep and think about what do we really want and then go after that. That's why I like talking yeah. to you all the time because, like, I do my um, – same as what we're talking about, the style of conversation. We talk, like, you know, once a month or once every two months. Like, I do my work and I work really hard and I do, like, all this productive stuff that I want to do and I'm putting all the work in and then I talk to you and then if it's once every two months or however long it is, like, it reminds me of such a bigger picture, like such a larger scale I can play at and such a larger way of thinking because – I touch base with you. I think like that. And I'm like, sweet, what work can I do to like reach these, you know, sort of visions and targets or not targets, but visions and, and reach this way of living that you always talk about, which is fantastic. And I work, 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 work. And I get, um, encompassed by like a lot of people that think, you know, a lot smaller and like day to day. And then I retouch base with you again. And it like opens my mind again. to like the bigger picture and the bigger scale that you can play at. Yeah, dude, let's, Let's talk about level three for the fun of it. I haven't brought this up on What's level three on any episode, 
and I kind of feel like going there. Yeah, what's level three? I don't know if I ever kind of told you about this. Uh, might have you might have heard of it from the in the context of the Thailand trip. Uh, but let me let me explain it again. So level three is this idea I came up with with my friend Roberto in Lebanon about the three, I guess, levels at which you can choose to approach life, and no one is better than the other. There's no one that's right or yeah. wrong. Yeah, it's just three different, different levels. Yeah, just okay? different. I feel that. Level one is blindly following the norms. You're living automatically. Life is kind of just this thing that's happening and there's a bunch of rules and you'll just do that. Level two is when you start to realize that there kind of are no rules. There's no fixed way that your life has to look. Your life is a lot more malleable than you think it is. But at the same time, as you head down your path, and as you start to create things and do things with your life, you're still very much leaning into what makes sense and what makes sense logically. And while there are a lot less people that operate at this level too, there are still quite a few and there's enough where it's easy to look at someone's path and then to replicate that. Okay. So for me, what level two looked like was, uh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be a conventional entrepreneur. And then here are all these people that I can follow. And yes, there are no rules, but if I'm an entrepreneur, it just, it, it makes sense still. Level three is when you really start to carve out your own path, but it doesn't always have to make sense at the time. Level three for me. Yeah, that's cool. Is, I like that too. That's where I'm at at the moment. It doesn't make sense, but um, we're just carving out your own path. Yeah. And it's kind of like, like Steve Jobs said, you have to trust in something, whether it's your gut, faith, destiny, karma, because that's what gives you the courage to follow your heart when it leads you off the well-worn path because you believe at a deep level that the dots will connect, right? And yeah, what what do you think or what, what space are you in now? Like what is what is your level three look like? Um, like trusting the gut is huge. I like that, but building the faith because, um, yeah, because if I don't trust my gut, then I feel really like, like I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the end of the wall and have like so much regret. You know what I mean? I'm being pulled to something, and usually when I trust my gut, like I make the right decision. It's just it's just the way it's been. So for a long time, like I've been in my um, door door sales, and I've been doing the. Uh, marketing company and building that. And that was fantastic. First two years, I did, did about two, I've done it for about two and a half years. So my progress in communication and self-awareness and self-development in empathy and connecting with others, emotional intelligence and sales and marketing uh, and business and all that has gone through the roof in the last two and a half years. But I've also feel like I hit like a little bit of a wall there where I'm just developing the same level of skill and the same skill set over and over and over and over and over again. I don't know, like you get repetition, but I'm like, sweet, I want to hit the next level and do the next thing, if that makes sense. So um, where I'm at, like the coronavirus has given me, and we spoke about this earlier, like the most fantastic opportunity to put all that on pause, put all that on hold, and then just go trust my gut, do stuff that I want to do, do stuff that I've been like, you know, when you're working and you're doing stuff in the back of your head, you're always like, man, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if I did this? What if I did that? I don't have enough time. All these bullshit, like excuses and limited beliefs and stuff, but you justify it because you have like all these responsibilities. So that's what I had. I had all these responsibilities. We have to do everything. I got people depending on me. So I'm like, sweet, I got to put my money into these people, into this, because if I don't, then, you know, they don't get developed and they can't live you know, hit their goals and live the lifestyle that they want. So I'm like, I have to do it. And I'm like, I said, I would do it. So I'm going to do it. 
But then there's putting it all on pause gave me a fantastic excuse. Just go follow like um, something different, something that's been like pulling at me for a long time, you know, social um, social stuff, building your own personal brand, doing some online stores, online dropshipping because like you always think that you can do more. And if you look at it like, you know, micro doesn't make any sense because I'm good at the sales, but I guess it makes a little bit of sense. I don't know. But um, yeah, I'm just trusting my gut. I'm just doing that that sort of thing, building a personal brand and, and none of it's going to take off to overcome my income in the next, you know, three months or short term. But it's something that I can use this time of doing nothing to set up and then maybe pursue that instead. Gary Vee talks about dabbling in a lot of different things. And for like the last two and a half years, I've just been dabbling in one thing, but I'm not sure if that's the path I want to choose for the next 50 years. And that's the only, that's the only business sort of model that I've run and the only business that I've been a part of. So I'm like, it's the first business. How do I know it's the one I'm going to take on for the next 50 years and make a super like, you know, um, build my lifestyle around that. It's like, I want to dabble in different things. So then my life, I know like I'm not going to regret something because I tried it. Mm. If that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. What, what I love about you is you've actually committed and when you, and when you commit, like that's it. And then, you know, for me, I know I have a large tendency to dabble and I could easily dabble my whole life and never commit. That was one of the biggest learnings I've had. And, and that some people in my life that I really value have, have told me is that I very much have this explorer archetype and it could be super easy for me five, 10 years from now to just be exploring a bunch of little things but ever, never actually committing and finding the freedom and commitment uh, where you actually end up build, building something up for the long term. Whereas for you, you've started with commitment. The business that you've done, you've done f- for a long period of time. And commitment is just a natural part of who you are. And now this whole deviation and like, let me let go of maybe what makes the most logical sense and what will pay off in the short term and tune into what I'm curious about is dabbling, but it's, it's on top of the commitment. Yep. Yeah. And I, I think I had a fear of like, if I dabble in too much, like do the opposite, then I'll just dabble forever. You know, it's like, um, it's like the guy who's good at all, tr- good at all trades, but master of none. And if you're not a master at something, then you're not going to be, um, rewarded, um, to the extent, you know, that the master is you're just going to be like average and then average is really really low so um yeah so i just committed to that and like it's always in the back of my head i'm like how's this how do i know this is the one thing i want to do for the rest of my life you know what i mean if i want to be super successful or something then you need to commit 20 30 years i'm like i know that i'm self-aware enough to know but at the same time the other side of me is like okay this is the only business model you've ever done how do you know this is the one you know i get 30 years down the track and i'm like sweet I've done it for like 20 years, but I only did it because I said I would, not because I enjoyed it or because I actually wanted to or because I saw the reward at the end of the tunnel. So, and um, yeah, no, I just had all these commitments where I'm like, I couldn't really get out, you know, like in my head, I'm like, sweet, this, 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 I had all these reasons to keep going, which is great, but I'm like, I'm just so excited. I can try different things and then pursue because, and the thing that I'm like listening to the most is again, Gary Vee talks about, when you're super young, put two or three years into something and it's not going to hurt you. So two or three years into something and like that's like me like dabbling and committing at the same time, if that makes sense. So I'm not spending three months where I'm not going to seek any sort of reward. Like the reward and progress, sorry, progress. Let's use the word progress. Um, so the progress I've seen the last two and a half years has been phenomenal. But at the same time, I'm thinking, okay, so it's not for me. I don't really see a future. 
of me doing that. Like it, it is for some people I've had super progress, but I don't think I want to continue doing that. So there's no point in me putting more progress into that. So the next thing, if I start like a drop shipping or a personal brand, I'm thinking two or three years, I can see some progress and I can see some results, but at the same time, I'm not committing 30 and I can try different things. And I might fuck that up and be like, sweet, that's not for me either. And then I'll be, what, 24, 25? I'm like, sweet, next thing, another two or three years. You know what I mean? And if I find something and I've hit 30, I've tried four or five different things that I'm being pulled to so I won't have any regret, but I've also done it for a long long enough period where I've seen some progress and some results and I can actually get a good feel for if that's, you know, something I want to commit to because I'm not afraid of committing and putting the work in. It's just I just want to make sure it's something that I'm going to get the progress that I want. I'm going to get the results that I want long-term. Yeah. You know what I mean? Beautiful. As you talk about all of this, the thing that uh, I feel like jumping to is money and your relationship with money and finances. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that. I get the sense from you that you really want to be financially free and, and not have money as a concern in your life. Tell me a little bit more about that and and what that means for you. So like um, where that came from, probably the biggest thing is um, growing up, like I was young, like I, I got an older sister as well and she's into like, um, like we just like grew up in an environment that didn't really, um, have a good, um, like wasn't the best environment. So you grew up there and then you, you know, your circle of influence who you're surrounded by, like you sort of become and, and that sort of stuff. And like growing up where we grew up was like, I was like heavily influenced by that. So I was really bad. But then my older sister, she's basically like in a lot of drugs as well. My mom was a lot of drugs. Um, my family's like, you know, was pretty broken my whole life growing up. Um, and then my dad passed away because of drugs as well. So I'm like, if I can like get to a point where I have like the skill set, it's mainly, mainly like finances is one, but skill set and like emotional intelligence, all that um, comes with it too. Cause I know if I can build a big business, I'm going to be emotionally sound, um, to be able to help others. Cause if I'm like got a company of 500 people, I can, you know, empower 500 people, if that makes sense consistently. Right. So I like, empower them emotionally, help them. If I can do it myself, then I can show other people to do it and help them do it. So I can empower them like emotionally, financially, physically, um, spiritually. So they're not like suffering internally as well. Cause I know if I hit this, it's like, I read this book and it's called the one thing. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before. Yeah, you have. Hundred percent. Have you read it? Yeah, uh, have it. Oh, I don't know if I fully read it, but I resisted the idea for a long time, there's, and and then I kind of took it on. There's one yeah. line in there. The whole book leads up to this one line, um, and it basically says, "What's the one thing that you can do right now that will make everything easier or irrelevant?" So I'm like, sweet. If I go build a big business, it's going to make or a business to the point where I'm a million a year or whatever. It's going to make everything easier or irrelevant, right? And that means like I'm going to develop the emotion. I won't have to focus on developing emotional intelligence because I'm going to get that as a part of it. I'm not going to have to um, like worry about or stress about all these other things because if I just hit this one goal, everything else becomes easier and relevant. And then if I'm like the reason so money driven, I guess, is because I just put my family in a nice neighborhood and then be able to pay for the things that the support that they need and the support that I need to so there and then have the skills to be able to help them as well. If that makes sense. 
so they don't have to go yeah, through the pain that they went through and the pain that I went through growing up. So that's a big part of my why that I got written in my book. And when I was writing that why, I cried a lot because <laughs> it's like pretty emotional when you go when you dig down and then you meditate beforehand and go into it. <laughs> Dude, let, let, let's dig into the why a little bit more if if you're comfortable with it because I, I, I'm, I'm very, very intrigued. You speak a lot about um, – the, the pain of growing up and not having to put other people through that. And the, the beautiful thing I find between the link of that and then the, the money and the business side of things is that money and business isn't just about the money for you. It's about who you get to become yeah, the, for yourself and others in the you. process. I was trying to get the words out. That's bang on. Cause you get, yeah, like that's one thing, but the person you need to become to attain that or whatever, that person is what I'm chasing. And I know like, yeah, that's how to get there. If that makes sense. That's, that's for me, it almost seems like that's, that's the bigger thing. That's the deeper thing. And then the nice thing about how it links to business is because of business, then you have measurable. some sort of financial tool to be able, yeah, measurable and some sort of financial tool to be able to look after people and provide. So it's not like, okay, cool. I've kind of figured myself out, but like, shoot, how do I actually feed my family? It's how can I do both and have them, hand in hand mm, exactly and then um yeah yeah and then just living a life so that i'm like you know if i come from you know where i came from it's not a bad place a lot of people got a lot worse but that was my drive for a long time it's like sweet if i can like come from where i come from and then show other people that it can be done and then help inspire motivate um a lot of other people then just show them like it's not you know there's no excuses it's just just go get it done like anyone can do it and i've seen heaps of people like um and then I'm super grateful for, you know, my growing up and everything as well. Um, there's a guy called Nick Santonioso or something. I can't say his last name, but it's the, I don't know if you've seen him. He's got no legs and one arm and then just a finger on the end of his arm. And like, he, he's been a rapper. He's been a bodybuilder. He's won competitions. He's been a pro wrestler. Like all these things. He's speaking in front of, um, you know, hundreds and, th- oh, not hundreds, but like thousands, thousands of people. I'm like, man, if he can do it and, like, he doesn't have any excuses, then, you know, I just want to be another mm. example like that. Mm. Yeah. Dude, w- when you talk about, uh, I guess, the negative environment growing up and the pain growing up and all that kind of thing, um, what, what what was that like for you? Like, was it just the fact that, you know, you had your parents who or you had your mom and dad and then and then at some point you just had your mom who were kind of, viewing things differently and struggling. And so you kind of had to do things yourself. Like it must've been hard as well, just with your sister, not having, um, you know, your sister also kind of struggling. Like, yeah, I, 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 it's not something that I can relate to heaps. Although I've been through kind of the struggles of my parents, divorce and, and separation. It's very different. So I'm keen to try and understand it more because I feel like I can't really grasp it at the moment. Yeah. So like growing up with my sister, she was like struggling. Um, she like moved out of home when she was like 13. Um, she was going through like a lot of, like a lot of depression where she like harm herself and stuff when she was really young. And then she's um about two years older than me, about a year and a half, like 18 months. And um, that was pretty hard because like I saw the pain she was going through, seeing her struggle. And because I was like younger, I felt like I couldn't help. And just the position I was in, I just felt like I couldn't help her. And then it got down to a point where she like down spiraled so far that she went to like a place where she was homeless and 
um, like, you know, spending a lot of time around people in prison and, um, you know, a lot of drugs and stuff like that. And she spiraled so far down and I'm like, um, I was just too young and wasn't in the spot. This is when I was like 12, 13, 11, 14, all the way growing up where I just couldn't like provide, you know, the emotional support that someone needs is the financial support. Like she was living with such bad people and then she couldn't like, um, move out. She's in like an abusive relationship too. Didn't have the strength to like leave that. Um, and then I'm like, yeah, I just wasn't in the spot to help her at the time. Um, so I'm like, yeah, if I just fucking build myself up. So I'm like, I, I just need to make a decision to build myself up so far that if anyone in my life like needs that, then I can provide them. And then, I'm still not in a position to help her to the point where she probably needs it, if that makes sense. So I'm still working to do stuff like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. How, cause when, when you're that young, did you feel like, like, was it, you know, you're 11, 12, 13 and you're already jumping into, okay, cool. I, I, I need to be able to help people. Let me like find a way to like Not really. solve every problem. I don't think yeah, so. Like, what was yeah, like, yeah. It was just confusing. So I'm like 12. I'm like, I want to help you, but I can't. And then I played like the victim role for a long time. Whereas like, um, poor me, I can't do this. I can't help her. I can't do that, that sort of stuff. Um, like that was always in the back of my head. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, like I need to be able to help you. But the Lemington belief was I'm like, I'm younger than you. I can't, you know what I mean? And I'm like, 14 on my in school and then and then she was off and then went down this huge spiral from when i was like 14 like 18 where i didn't really see her much and stuff like that and you know i I could always like see negative things happening i'm like i don't really understand i didn't understand at the time you know i mean i didn't um know how to help either or i just thought i couldn't you know i mean like biggest thing was for me was when i um started in my sales my um, marketing and I got introduced to business because I'm like, I always knew I wanted a lifestyle, but I didn't know how to attack, like how the, how I could get there, you know, because through all that pain, I'm like, fuck this. I don't want to, I want to earn heaps of money so I don't have to live in a shit neighborhood so I don't have to deal with, um, you know, the type of people that I had growing up and I don't have to have the examples, you know, um, that I had growing up and I can be the example that other people need for, that I didn't have. Um, so I always knew I wanted like a really, really good lifestyle, uh, for that reason, but I just didn't know how to do it. And then I went, fell into business and then my mentor at the time showed me this business model where I can make like half a million a year. And I'm like, holy fuck. I didn't know that's how you did it. I thought you had to like go to uni and get a career. I was like, I even was in uni for a year. And I'm like, I went up to my convener and I'm like, what, can you tell me what university degree do I need to do to earn 300 K a year? And then she told me, no, you want to spend time with your family on the weekends and you want to work that hard. Trust me. I'm like, she sort of just shut down my dreams there. I was like, oh, fuck, this is shit. So then, yeah, so I just didn't know. But um, the drive has always been there to to have a fantastic lifestyle, to provide, you know, that for the people around me and just, yeah. So I don't have to, you know, be in shit neighborhood. Dude, and the thing that really hits me there is that, You've been through what you've been through and you've come out on the other side, uh, not just being selfish and, and obsessed with yourself, but really it's all about caring and providing for others. And the thing that strikes me is what you were sharing about wanting to be able to help, you know, wa- wanting to be ha- able to help your older sister and, and not being able to. And if I look at that, the thing that amazes me is you're a young boy 
in this really complex situation that's far, far from ideal. Mm. But your yeah. feeling as a little boy is literally just, I want to help. Yeah. I want to help. Yeah. Yeah. And dude, that's like, that's been my experience of you in our relationship as well mm. has been, you, you want to help. Mm. And it seems like you care so much and care at a, at a really deep level that few people tend to, uh, allow themselves to feel like, do you, do you feel like you just always cared, uh, like that or yeah. Um, how did it, I definitely got more, um, it's funny. It's actually a bit of a balance to be honest. So like, that's my deepest, my deepest why and what drives me most. And I know that off the top of my head because I've done, I've searched for it several times and, I'll, and I've done it a lot. You know what I mean? So my deepest, darkest why is um, my future family and building it to the point where um, I can be the person I need to be to give them the lifestyle that like, you know, I want and like I wanted growing up and stuff like that, if that makes sense. Because yeah, I don't really want to give my family um, the uh, lifestyle or the life that, you know, that I was you know, mm. given and stuff and I'm not using that as an excuse. I'm super grateful because without all those challenges, then I wouldn't be driven and ambitious and wouldn't want to fucking build something. You know what I mean? Cause I see a lot of my friends, I used to be super jealous of them growing up. My friends with two family, like two, like a mum and a dad and they're both getting along. They've got a big house and stuff like that. I used to be so fucking jealous of them and to the point where I was like, um, spiteful. And this is like young teenage me before I was in personal development. So, um, yeah, so jealous of them. But then I look at them now and they're on the path of like depression and, and stuff like that because they had everything given to them and they never had uh, to build up any resilience in the mental, in the mind. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I was one of those ones who had to work extra hard just to be the same as everyone else. So then when I caught up to everyone else, I've still got that resilience and that work ethic and that mindset that I needed. So then I succeed a little bit more. But um, uh, what was your question again? So I went on a bit of a tangent. Yeah, man. I, I don't even remember what my question was. Or I do remember it now, but I, I, yeah, I, I was just talking about uh, always caring like, and stuff. Did, always, always caring and stuff. And so it's been funny. That's my, that's my deepest, darkest why is to, um, for my future family, because my family was all broken and can communicate. But when I'm working and stuff, like, um, I always have to balance out. And I had to learn this because I had no like leadership skill that leadership is like a service industry and you need to be more selfless than selfish. So for a long time, when I started coaching and mentoring and people, I was probably more on the selfish side, um, probably more for that reason. Cause I'm like, no, I just want to like, you know, earn money and build my lifestyle and build a business for my family and future family and stuff. So I was selfish in that regard, but I had to learn the skill to be like, if you help enough people get what they want, you'll get what you want sort of thing. So like I had to develop uh, empathy a lot and I had to work on being selfless in the moment a lot more. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and dude, um, <laughs> plus you. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing that like strikes me as absolutely crazy about that is the fact that you're talking about the relationship between selfishness and selflessness. And you're talking about how you feel like at first, before you kind of evolve, you were kind of selfish in terms of how you're approaching business is that yes, you were being selfish, but ultimately the only reason you were being selfish in the first place is because of how deeply you love and because of how deeply you care for others. You know what I mean? Be it your family, be it, be it, 
others who are not your family. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, like I, I think that's kind of funny because even beneath the surface of your, you know, what some people might say is self-ishness is, is literally selflessness, man. Uh, I mean, it would have been so easy to, to pull away, to, to, to not engage in things like that, but you're just a little boy that wants to help and a little boy that loves so deeply and unconditionally, man. So yeah, that's, dude, that's what, too, cause yeah. you, you know, you, that's, 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 that's one of the big drives, unconditional love. And I had a mentor a while ago and, um, I had to work on unconditional love. Like, even though it's something that you want a lot, you, you something still needs work on. You know what I mean? Like I, um, almost, I stopped loving my sister for a long time because I tried to help her for so long and always got rejected and you can't really help someone who doesn't want to help themselves. So like I got hurt because I was trying to help her so much and I kept not being able to cross that barrier. And I had a mentor, like, you know, a couple of sessions, a couple, you know, conversations where they're talking about if you want unconditional love, you have to give unconditional love. And it's not something you just do automatically. It's like a muscle you need to build and condition your brain to do all the time. You know what I mean? You pick yourself up on it. You're like, okay, cool. Like, uh, like if I want unconditional love, which is what I want, which is like selfish, which is fair enough. Cause it's, it's, it's a good thing to have. But if I want that, I have to give it out. And I wasn't giving it out to ever. Like I wasn't giving it to my sister at the time. So I had to go like, you know, be vulnerable with her and, and let her know that I love her and give her an avenue of love. Cause I'm like, okay, unconditional, no matter how she's treated me and now, yeah, you know, if I've been hurt by her or whatever, like if I want unconditional love, then I have to give that out first. And it's not something you just, you just good at it. Or at least for me anyway, I'm not, even though it's something I, you know, desire and want, but I'm not doing it. Like you're just not naturally good at it. You just need to work on it all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly you what you mean. That? Do you like with your love? Cause you're like such empathetic and caring person and you like to feel what others are feeling. Um, and then you would obviously want unconditional love. I'm assuming how, how do you feel about that? When you're like, when you give love, do you feel like it's something you have to work on and keep, you know, conditioning your brain to do or if, you know, and then maybe it'll be automatic and you get to the point where you're automatic or do you feel like you're naturally, you know, at that point where you do it all the time as well? I definitely don't do it all the time. <laughs> I, I would love to say that that I did, but no, dude, it's, 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 uh, I am, I'm as imperfect as the rest of us. And, uh, m- maybe the thing that comes up for me more is I, I've experienced what it's like to, to love deeply. And especially my parents having gone through what, they went through and, and their divorce and kind of stuff surrounding that. And, and dude, like it was a really messy situation. Um, and choosing for me to love my parents uh, for who they are, not, oh, they did this. And so I have to find a way. It's like, no, no, no. Like love is not something that needs to have conditions or reasons. Love isn't something that operates like that love is literally the place where I'm going to come from mm. as opposed to something that maybe even I need to find a way to fix the other person in order to receive. And, uh, what I, what I'm working on and what I've become a lot better at is being comfortable with the vulnerability of loving when, uh, when that love isn't always gonna, you know, immediately come back. And 
uh, especially when you're doing creative projects where, where you're really leading from the heart and being vulnerable. Uh, I feel like for anyone that really wants to do stuff like that, you really need to become comfortable with vulnerability. And, and the way I like to put it as kind of like rough as this analogy may sound is you need to be comfortable taking your heart and the deepest parts of your heart and putting it on a chopping board, literally, and handing anyone, literally anyone at all, the knife and being like, hey, you can cut this if you want. Because when you get to a point where you're okay being that vulnerable and okay sharing like that and okay with however that goes, that's really transformative. Uh, I went through a phase of trying to um, cover that up and, 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 and not let things sink in and not feel fully. I mean, during my time in Montreal, one of the coolest things I thought that I came up with was as I wanted to become more outgoing and, and better socially and all that kind of thing was I decided that I was going to create a new nickname for myself that my full name's Andrew. Uh, that's my normal name. In Australia, sometimes people call me Andy just because in Australia, everything gets shorter. But I decided I wanted to come up with like a new identity. And so I figured, oh, if I call myself Drew, uh, because there was a guy I really look up, looked up to in, in primary school that was called Drew. So I thought, okay, cool, Drew. And then when I was struggling or when things would hit me emotionally, instead of what do I feel like and how would I react, I would always ask myself, what would Drew do That's in this great. situation? And it, it was this, it, dude, it's great. And it's like super powerful. And I, I met this musician when I was in Adelaide at the start of last year who talks about his stage name and how his stage name really allows him to separate himself from his identity, which is really powerful for him. But dude, there's a dark side to it, which I realized, which is I'm not, I'm not, I'm not allowing myself to be myself and I'm, I'm strategizing and scheming to avoid getting hurt as opposed to being comfortable with getting hurt in the first place. And it's a lot harder to be comfortable getting hurt, to be at a point where you feel vulnerable and you feel like you're going to get hurt, but you're comfortable putting your heart out there, showing how much you love. Because, dude, I love deeply. I'm very much a heart-led person over and over and over and over again. And it's much easier to come up with an identity, to come up with a way of, of avoiding feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, can, I, and, can, I, can I pitch something yeah, to you? Yeah. So I was in, I've been to Tony Robbins twice, once in UPW, once in Business Mastery. And in Business Mastery, you really, uh, I really saw, and there's a book that I want to read because it talks a lot about it. But I really saw like a skill that he uses being applied to him and everyone that he impacts, you know, stand people up and impacts them and break them to cry. It's freaking intense. Anyway, so a skill that he uses and, and what he talks about a lot is like you have different characters in your, in your mind and you are, you have different beings. Right, you have diff- you literally have different beings. Cool. So instead of creating identity that's like an escape thing, that could just be one of your one of your identities. Because what he uses, he's like, man, when I need to feel powerful, like I engage the warrior. Like that's his name. He's got these identities. He's maybe got six of them. He's like, I I need the warrior to come out. If I'm going on stage and like somebody needs me to be like, you know, fuck, I'll I'll sort this shit out. Like I'll get it done. You know, in business, you're like they've all got these problems. No one can do it. You're like, get out the way. I'll do it. Like let's go. Like that's his warrior. You know what I mean? And his warrior is probably a little bit less empathetic and loving than everyone else because that's what he needs in that moment. Do you know what I mean? But he's also got a, a guy. I think there's like a lover. You know, so he can engage his love identity where you're more, way more empathetic and way more vulnerable and stuff like that. And then he's also got the magician. 
to a magician just magically. You know, when you're like how you're telling me um, you would have used your your magician identity way back when. I remember you telling me a story first time I met you when you're in Montreal running a, a seminar and you had to get um, like the the seats filled overnight or something and you had to get a big contract or you almost lost it over the phone they said hey look i can't come in one of your speakers you're like i can't come in and then within within like 10 minutes or an hour yeah you booked like ubers and you got them to the start you convinced them over the fucking phone you know that's not that's not like something you do every day that's almost an impossibility but your magician came out and you just got it done and i've had plenty of experiences Mm. like that where i'm like there's like almost no way you can get a result here but the magician comes out and you do. And he's talking about Conor McGregor. He needed his magic because he coached Conor McGregor for a bit. He needed his magician identity more than his warrior. In the Khabib fight, he was using his warrior, right? We all have six or seven, mm-hmm. however many, I can't, I can't remember, six or seven different identities for different situations. And being, being able to like pull on those and use those is such a strong skill set, right? So he talked about Conor McGregor need a mystic Mac. You know how Conor McGregor is mystic Mac? That's his magician because he's like it, impo- almost impossible stunts and he just get he executes, right? Whereas your warrior is like someone who just fights through it and like, um, yeah, he's like a beast sort of thing. Mine's, mine's a beast. And then he talks about um, having like a – there's another one where it's like a leadership – leadership identity where uh, you, you're good with governing people and stuff like that. And then he's got his lover, which is obviously what you use in relationships and different scenarios, even in business, but being able to draw on those things and apply those all like in different scenarios, that's where Tony Robbins gets his power from. Cause he's like impacting somebody, but sometimes, cause you've seen it. You sometimes he yells at the person. Remember in UPW and he yelled at that lady. I was like, Whoa, for like calling herself a victim and stuff like that. So maybe the identity you created of, of Drew, maybe he's not a false personality where you don't feel empathy or love. Maybe he's just your warrior. Maybe a hundred percent. And and I feel like, you know, there's a lot in this and, and there's a lot of different kind of like modes of being. And at the, at the same time, if you're, if you want to decide that you, you have this like warrior kind of like beast part of you, that's like, like I can do this, like despite the challenge, I'll find a way. Uh, it's important for me that that doesn't exist to protect the more deeper vulnerable parts of me. And for a lot of people, instead of being able to be any way at all and flip between these ways of being and, and, and be like super direct and straight, but at the same time loving that they're only able to, uh, to maybe they're only able to um, use the- to be loving because they're scared of, of being super straight and powerful, or mm-hmm. maybe they're only yeah. able to be what what you would say would be kind of like a warrior type thing because they're so uncomfortable with how oh, much really. they love and how much they care, and they haven't. Yeah, so so like w- that like that's the bit that intrigues me, and I guess w- where I'm keen to go from here is. Uh, you know, in, in terms of the relationship with the past and, and the future is for me, for example, my parents divorced after my parents divorced and that really messy divorce. I had a few years of my life where I thought that I wanted to become some sort of relationship counselor or something, or I didn't really care what it looked like, but I wanted to be someone that made sure that no divorces ever happened in the world. Yeah. Right. That's and. Good 
for me, that was less of what I maybe really cared about. And it was more of a coping mechanism from the past where instead of, I feel like I'm at a blank canvas and I can do whatever I want with my life and have what I experiment and see what I love and build my life around that. It became more of a, there's this thing in the past that I went through, which was a really traumatic experience of my parents separating. And so I'm going to build my life as a coping mechanism to avoid other people having to go through what I went through and just use my life to fix that. And that intrigues me. That intrigues me. I don't, I don't feel like we can ever get to a point where we're at what I would call a, a, a blank canvas where, uh, you know, we realize that there are no rules, but then we also have kind of worked through all our own internal stuff and that we're just at nothing and we're like, all right, cool. What do I want to do? Let me do it. You know, I, I, of course our past and what we go through plays a role in our future, but do you feel like the life you're living now and the life you're working on creating is still kind of like a, a reaction in some form to the past and a coping mechanism to deal with that? Where, for example, maybe you might go to extremes and you might try to look after yourself and those around you too much. Um, and maybe you could even like hold them back or maybe you just end up, you know, maybe as much as it's freeing and, you know, the, Full disclosure, like I, I love the way you view life and that kind of thing, but do you think it could ever maybe end up uh, being a problem in and of itself where where it's actually a cage that holds you back? Like, yeah, what do you think about that? Like the the way I'm thinking is it uh, could be a cage that holds you back. Like the, the what, what could be the cage? What do you mean? Overly caring about people to the extent that you – you feel like you have to look after them and avoid them going through the suffering that you went through maybe, as a kid. Maybe not. Cause I also, oh, I, I don't know. I feel like I understand the, um, cause maybe it's not about avoiding like suffering. It's more about being like resilient and teaching them how to handle stuff. Like I'm not going out of my way to like, you know, make sure my you know kid doesn't get bullied or whatever. Cause I'm like, that's always going to happen. It's a part of life. Like there's always going to be violence in life as well. But at the same time, like, sweet, I'm just going to teach them how to handle it, how to handle it emotionally, how to handle it physically, how to handle it spiritually, mentally. Like, there's a quote where he talks about, don't give your kids everything that you never got. So that's like the material wealth, lifestyle. And I spoke a lot about lifestyle, which is fair enough, but that's the one thing that's going to improve everything else. But um, anyway, don't give your kids everything that you never got. Teach them everything you never learned or got taught. So instead of teaching them, instead of giving them like, cars and Ferraris and stuff like that. It's not going to do anything because like they're not going to develop the resilience. You know what I mean? I'm going to put my kid in fucking McDonald's or whatever, go put them in a shit environment, but I'm going to be there to pick them up. Like at our work and our culture, we talk about having, building a culture and an environment where it's okay to fail because you'll pick them back up. You know what I mean? So like not so much avoiding suffering, like avoiding what I went through because I'm like, I don't want my kid to like, you know, their parent fucking do drugs and like, you know, do that sort of stuff. Like, there's, I think that's I think that's fair enough to not you know go through that, but that's where I got my resilience from, and that's where I got my drive from. Like if I never went through that, I um I wouldn't be as driven as I am today. I'd be like just relaxing, doing shit all all the time. So I'm like, how can I give my kid that skill trait? One by being an example because they'll they'll watch me go through challenges. I'm sure in business where you know you lose a hundred million dollars and stuff like that, and then you can see the resilience there. So it's not about not going through challenges, not going through suffering, because what's life without suffering it's there's also life without growth you know what i mean i know exactly what you mean and what i love about what you just said is the whole thing of 
in, in my mind, and obviously it's, it's your journey, but you, you had what you went through, right? And then you kind of like compensate and you end up entering business, which is actually really cool because it got you to where you are today. But then maybe there's a bit of a coping mechanism thing going through Are you. Maybe there's a bit of selfishness, but then that's like evolved even further. I don't know if that's been the past few years or how long it's been. Whereas now you're like on the, on a level playing field where you realize how much you care. And it's less about like having people avoid what you went through uh, in terms of like, all right, I must like get all the resources and like give them all that and more about equipping them and loving them and, and having and being able to help. And I feel like that's, that's a really beautiful evolution. Mm. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. There's two parts. Yeah. I think that's, that's pretty much how it went down. Cause I'm like, I've got to get everything given to, you know, you just got to give my fucking sister a house and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, cool. You like get the resources and get the skills and like equip them. It's like my future family when I have kids, like same sort of thing, just develop, get, give them, the environment that they need to for success as well. It's going to give them the best opportunity for that. And when I talk about success, it's not financial, it's mental, physical, um, emotionally as well. Like emotionally is probably the biggest one because if you don't have like the tools or if I'm not helping giving them the tools or environment to help them succeed emotionally, like that's, you know, then they're not going to be able to fucking do whatever they want anyway because they're not going to have the emotional stability to be able to handle going after their dreams or going after their goals or whatever they want. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. dude. And then so, so, so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I, um, I want to, I want to come back to, as we're talking about all this kind of thing, the thing that's still in the back of my head that I'm like, okay, well, I wonder how he feels about this is you talk, you talk about how, you know, in terms of your sister, you felt like you couldn't help nowadays in terms of how you view life. Do you feel like in every single situation you always want to be able to help or to develop the capacity to help at all times? And do you feel like you need to help at all times? Like everybody that I run into. Whatever. You can answer it whatever way you want. Um, do I need to help? No, I, I, feel, I don't know. I don't think so. Like, I've got a deep... Because... Um, yeah, I think I've spent like a lot of time trying to help people that don't want to be helped. You know what I mean? I don't know if you've done that, whether you've like coached or mentored or just like gone out of your way to help someone in your life who you're like, you're seeing them and they're like struggling and you're like, man, I care about you a lot. I want to help you as much as I can. Um, like, and then I try and help them, but then they don't want to help themselves. But there is a point where obviously someone like Tony Robbins can impact someone to a point where they can change, um, even someone who doesn't want to help themselves in the moment, like he can still, he can still do that. So there's like a def, definitely a skill to it. And I'm like, I see people, I'm like, I want to help you. I'm like, okay, cool. That's out of my range. Like, I just can't, I don't have this emotional skill set to be able to like, in, like the communication skill set to be able to hit the, you know, the hit home and change the way you're thinking. So I see it all the time, like especially the people I'm close to. Right. But I also understand at the same time, like I'm going to like outgrow people and, I'm not going to be able to impact like everyone right now the way I'd like to. Like my best mate, he's um, he broke up with his partner of, of like two two and a half years, and he's like in a victim mindset where he's like, um, I'm never going to find anyone else again. You know, like I love her and like and she's treating him pretty bad where she's like stringing him along sort of thing. And like I can see that because I'm an outside person looking in, and I'm like trying my hardest to impact him and to change his way of thinking because the way he's thinking and he's he's getting like, 
he's like putting all this effort into someone who doesn't care. And I can see like that's having a negative and his thoughts are having like a negative feedback loop. Like going down, down, down. I'm like, sweet, I need to like, if I can impact you, like, I'm going to try my fucking hardest because like he's someone I deeply care about. Um, but even that, I'm still not hitting home. You know what I mean? And I've been doing it for a while, like, you know, two years of helping people like hit set, solve the problem. And I still can't like nail that. So I'm just trying different avenues. And, you know, if I can, I can. If I can't, then I know time. I know him and I know time will also, you know, give people the, the skills that they need as well. Um, and I feel like something that you do a lot is you just like to help random people on the street, which is phenomenal. And that must feel amazing too. Because when I left Business Mastery, one of my goals was to give 10 people $1,000, random strangers, completely random, because that act of like giving makes you feel like living in more a state of abundance. It's not coming back to your family. It's not coming back to people you care about. So in maybe like a love sense, you you feel, and I feel like you connect to the whole world and population is like your family. You know what I mean? And I'm just making that, I'm on the upward progress to that level if that makes sense because when i'm at tony robbins you know the whole he talks about the whole world is your brothers and sisters and i'm like i feel that i don't feel that to the level you do yet but it's a progress where i'm heading right so my family and the people i care about um but the cool thing is you just go up to someone on the street and be like man how can i help you like how can they hit you what's your deepest darkest goal you know what i mean and then he's like oh go speak in front of ten thousand people boom let's organize and make that happen and you'll just that's something you do and you just give that with no you know, expectation return and like that helps you feel way more love too, which is pretty cool. So something I'm want to start doing, you know, it's something I've never done and I'm developing, you know, donating to random charities and random people when I see people on the street, but it's like, um, I feel like that's a muscle too. You know what I mean? I got to keep building it up. Every time I see an opportunity to help just some random, I got to condition my brain to think like that. So if someone's like playing music out front of store, give them like 50 bucks. But I won't naturally do that, whereas you, you'll naturally just go out and help someone. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, it 100% makes sense. And uh, I think it's like a, like a, if you take it deep, like at a deep level, right? It, it Ultimately, I feel like you feel the same way that I do about people, which is that you, you love deeply and you care deeply. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that how that expression has to look, there's no right way. There's no one thing for me. Do I give out money to strangers on the street? Not really. I think I've done it once. Um, uh, but I love to, I love to connect with people and find out what the dreams are and, and find out how, how they view life in the world. Like that moment with that, with that guy that, you know, was a refugee wanting to share a speech on gratitude that you're talking about and, and, and like leaning into how can I be so okay with, getting hurt by the fact that he wanted to cancel at the last minute yeah, 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 yeah. that given that I'm okay with that, I actually have the freedom to actually make a difference in that situation and get him to rock up. And yeah, man, I, I don't feel like it needs to look a certain way. And uh, I, I also feel like it's, it's great that you don't feel like you need to help all the time in both in terms of your family, but also in terms of uh, like wider groups of people like strangers and, and being okay with the fact because um my my logical mind thinks of this in terms of what you went through and how easy it would be to either like withdraw a lot or to feel like you need to be able to help every single time. And if you can't help, then you're a failure as a person, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. And and uh, I just I just have a lot of respect uh, for how you've grown and and a lot of respect for who you are, man. Because you just care, 
you just love and you and you're doing all this business stuff which which is awesome and it's heaps of fun um but you're so obsessed with growing and 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 leading and becoming a better person and uh I, I can't wait to see what that looks like if we extend the timeline over the next 20, 30 years. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. That's cool. I was watching a video today and he's talking about um, setting like, uh, like I just downloaded a, um, like a thousand year planner, like a thousand years. Yeah. I'm not even kidding. So he's talking about, it's a new guy I found talking about if he's playing for like a thousand years. And then the 500 years, 100 years and stuff like that. Like, I don't know, you just plan it all out. So I'm going to be doing that at some point today, plan the next 1,000 years. But, um, and then the reason why I don't want to help, like, or like the reason why I'm not so drawn to help everybody all the time and I don't feel like a failure if I don't is because I've seen people like pour out, you know how you, you've got like your own, your cup is full, your cup's got a certain amount of, you know, help and and giving and, you know, sort of thing that you can help you with. I've seen people pour out of their cup so much that it, like, drains them. So they've got nothing left, but they're still trying to help people. I'm like, I just understand the fact, like, you need to help yourself before you can help others. So if I'm not good enough to help my best mate who's, like, struggling with his um, his girlfriend, his ex-problems, stuff like that, I'm like, so I need to go better myself. Like, there's no point pouring more and more energy into that, you know, because I can't. I'm just pouring out of my own cup to a point. Or if my life's not... If my cup is empty, because for example, my sister tried to help, she's got that trait, but it's such a bad thing because she tries to help everybody way too much, you know, and they play this role. They're like, oh, I'm trying to help people. I'm trying to do such a good thing, but I can't, like, I'm such a, like a victim. It's the same as that girl. I don't know if you remember that girl at UPW, how she's like, um, she played a, the victim card and she said she got, like, she wanted to help people, but she, she was trying to help people too much and she couldn't, um, she had nothing left to give, if that makes sense. And then it drives them down this mental spiral where they get to such a negative, depressing sp- uh, spot. So I'm like, oh man, if I can't help you right now, like I need, I understand like logically how to, how to get there. I don't just see like, oh, I need to help you. Even though I've got nothing left, I can't give you something. Cause like that'll put both of us under. If I genuinely want to help you, it's going to take this longer route, which is fine. Cause that's the way it's going to happen. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I, I find that so cool because it's like at the deepest part of who you are, even when you are just serving yourself and looking after yourself and, and maybe those closest to you, it's like, okay, cool. That's my, what might come through. But the long game there and the long-term vision is just always about helping other people. And, and like, that's what it comes back to. And um, so I find that cool. And yeah, dude, just like super quickly, like I totally struggled with, with that, with uh, not looking after myself and overly caring with people. Like it literally got to an extent where I felt like I couldn't have a job unless it was something that really, really, really helped people all of the time. Like I couldn't spend a second focusing on myself. Like I, I had to message someone see how they're doing. How can I help them? How can I impact them? It became an addiction in, 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 in some way. And uh, what I realized, man, the, the way I see this now is that short-term selflessness is often really selfish mm, yeah 100%. as weird as that myself yeah. really yeah. selfish yeah because you're focusing on how it feels for you and oh that felt good that i cared about someone as opposed to i'm gonna put in the work to look after myself so i can have a bigger impact in the mid to long term yeah yeah man like i'll give you an example it's like um yeah, i could go donate blood or i can put in the 10 years build build um, a massive amount of wealth and build a fucking hospital 
you know, that is true, like selflessness. You know what I mean? That's like, um, same sort of thing. I can definitely see that you've, you know, you're somebody who, who cares a lot. And like, that's the trap you can fall into is like, you care so much in the short term, not so much the long term, but like, that's such a strong and powerful skill set that you've got. And a lot of people I see that have it, but then they get, they fall in the trap where it's like they help short term. But like, that's the same skill set that I use to, for my drive like that's such a powerful skill set to be able to like the want and desire to like you know help people and the thing that you've got you care so much about other people like just because like it wasn't it might might not have been applied at the right way at the right time doesn't mean that's a a flaw of yours if that makes sense a lot of people i see they they go like i try to help too many people like i care too much it's a negative and i'm like nah that's a fucking that's the strongest quality like anybody can ever have just applying it the right way, if that makes sense. And the difference, the distinction for me is going from I feel like I must and I have to as opposed to I don't feel like I have to do anything and I'm choosing to and I want to. So, uh, you know, off the back of uh, kind of some of the stuff I went through growing up, I felt like I really wanted to impact. I felt like I really had to impact the world. Like I had no choice. Like I must, and I must build a business and connect people to a deep level and, and, and like just be selfless. And then I was like, oh, okay. A lot of the time this caring actually just came from trying to fix some of the stuff that happened in the past and compensate for it. Like we we're kind of talking about earlier. So it's like, okay, cool. Let me work through this and deal with it. Okay, cool. I'm at a point now where I don't feel like I really must impact the world. Like I must do all this stuff. And I've gone back to what I refer to as like a blank canvas where not only have is, is kind of like letting go of some of the rules of society and cultural norms important, but also letting go of some of just as much for me, man, is the ongoing journey of letting go of the rules and, and the things I place upon myself. And then the more I get to that blank canvas, I'm, I'm nowhere near there, but I'm, I'm a lot closer than I was a long time ago is now it's funny because I've come back to the same point of I love people at a deep level and want to have impact. But now when I work on that, it feels like a freeing thing where I'm freely choosing as opposed to I must and I have to. And and I think, I think that's the big distinction. And a lot of people in the social impact space, a lot of social entrepreneurs or people that feel like they must help. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I have a friend in Montreal, uh, the, the guy that uh, drove, um, of that guy Eduardo that did this speech on gratitude you know we're talking about how how uh, you you mentioned that in the whole ma- magician metaphor he he is so loving and he cares at such a deep level and i feel like he's such a beautiful archetype for how humanity could be but in terms of where he was at when i first met him he felt like he had no choice like he like he just had to care every single time like he had to help to the extent that it would hold him back and hurt from him. looking after him yeah and hurt him yeah. and, and hurt him and so uh yeah that like that really intrigues me cuz i feel like the tendency to feel like you have to care is is maybe better than the flip side would be the tendency which is like you have to not care but when you can work through that and get to a point where it's like, okay, cool. I don't feel like I have to do anything with my life. I don't feel like I have to compensate just like how I don't feel now. Like I have to make my life all about stopping divorces just because my parents got divorced. And then it's like, what do I want to do? Mm. And then I'm like doing stuff like this, mm. like this podcast. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, this is epic and fun. And I'm enjoying this. And it's, you know, who knows where it will go. 
do I feel like it'll help others? I I think it will. Um, but who knows? I mean, I I just care, man. That's awesome. I think um, there just to like you know give like some some I don't know perspective where. I um maybe like because we've obviously like a similar trait there where it's like you have to care and you have to help you have to give like I like that because it's fucking awesome but like maybe the reason why I don't or I did I I feel like I skipped that if that makes sense you know what I mean like caring I skipped the this stage where like I'm selfless to the point where it's hurting myself just because I've seen real life examples of people doing that and they like my sister you know, I fucking went downhill really really quickly because that was her thing as well where she must help and must give but she was helping her partner so much where she was in an abusive relationship and she would like she's like no I gotta help him and help him and help this and like she'd get like abused and stuff I'm like you gotta take care of yourself and me visually seeing that like present in like my life growing up I'm like that's a like that doesn't work I've, I was like I've seen it you know what I mean so I'm like it's easier for me to skip that and to like not be as empathetic with people through that as well. Cause I'm trying to help a lot of people and they're like, they're, they're in this shit space cause they're trying to help someone. They care so much about someone, which is a fantastic skill, but they're hurting themselves so much. And sometimes I'll, I'm not as, I, I need to remind myself to be empathetic towards that. You know what I mean? Cause I just don't have yeah, it's the flip, right? It's like everyone has their own stuff that they're dealing with it, it, about, about life. And for you, it might've been more along the lines of like you saw caring and, and, and not being able to, or, or yeah. Uh, yeah and, and how destructive that could be. So the lesson there was that you needed to pull away. Right. As opposed to f- for me, the way I interpreted things was, was that I needed to go all out. Mm. And so for you now, for me, the journey yeah, was like reigning in how much I care, yeah. but for you, and, and now I'm like free and, and I can care what, you know, yeah. for you, it's kind of the yeah, opposite. It's like letting go of that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And, and it's like, we're all on this, this beautiful path and, and, um, yeah, man. And I just love the, the point you've reached and, uh, and how much you care and, and, um, you know, how you're doing this business and, and all this entrepreneurial stuff. And I'm sure you'll be really successful in that, man. But what I'm even more excited about, it is to you know be chilling with you uh 20 30 years from now and maybe we're on some sort of trip like the thailand trip where there's a bunch of us just hanging out and uh and and you're talking about your kids and how much you love them and how they're growing up and how you're like yeah i'm not going to give them everything on a platter although maybe i could you're like i want to i want to teach them and train them and you're telling stories of of uh of maybe your son and how he's on the jetty and you, you went fishing with him and, you know, you're, you're pulling out your phone or whatever tech we have then. And, <laughs> oh, and, and you're showing me, you're showing me a photo and you're like, wow, that was a, that was a really fun moment. And, uh, and you tell me like, yeah, I'm just really happy my son didn't get attacked like a turtle. Cause I did when I was a boy and, uh, yeah, man, that's, that's what I can't wait to hear. That's exciting. That's cool. I love talking to you cause you remind me of the things that's like most important you know, I was talking to you, telling you, like, sometimes I work and, like, I do stuff and I work, I commit, like, you know, three months at a time or two months, whatever it is. And then I talk to you again. I'm like, and there's, like, a deeper level. You know what I mean? Like, what's most important? Unconditional love, family, kids, that sort of stuff. Like, I don't have these conversations with people that are in my general life. I don't know if you can relate to that because you fucking have these conversations all the time. And, like, that's just who you are. Like, you give that, you resonate that outwards. You know what I mean? That deeper level thinking. So, I love talking to you because I get so caught up in just the people who, because like 80% of the world is caught up in like significance, um, values and stuff like that, which is fine. But um, the deeper level is like the love and connection and, and we're actually going to get you a lot of fulfillment. 
but I don't get that opportunity all the time. So it's good to remind myself and like I get regrounded, you know? Yeah, dude. That's awesome. Uh, let's let's slowly start getting in the direction of wrapping up. Oh, yeah. And the beautiful thing, <laughs> the beautiful thing is, what I want to finish on is is something that uh, may do a bit more of just that. And uh, you told me that you found this guy that thinks about the world in terms of or planning in terms of a thousand years, five hundred years, two hundred years. Well, I one of my favorite questions to ask people way back in my in my early days of entrepreneurship was I'd meet someone at an event and I'd ask them how long they're they think they're going to live and then I'd I'd kind of map that I'd say okay cool so you think you're going to live from here to here and I was like okay cool here's a thousand years from now uh, if you could have the world look anyway at all a thousand years from now because of how you lived your life like what would it be and that was such a fun question to 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 uh you know ask people so maybe that guy has secretly hijacked my subconscious mind and and taken it taking it from me and i'm sure he has a structure and, and and all that to it and maybe maybe you asked you asked him that question and then he built it from that it's probably somebody you asked that question and he's like that's a ripper question honestly i'm gonna build a platform around yeah. that yeah but you know why i love asking it is because i went through a phase especially in terms of uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about like uh, selflessness and I felt like I had to see that impact. Whereas now I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, you know, maybe it's not just the whole analogy of um, uh, make money now that way you can build a hospital as opposed to just donating blood. Maybe it's like, Ooh, well building a hospital could be 10 years from now. It could be in your lifetime, but I'm like, Ooh, how can I live my life? So that whatever it is actually ends up getting built and happening 500 years from now a thousand years from now, even longer term, because when you, I don't actually, to feel like I have to see my impact actually can make selflessness selfish. Yeah. Where I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah. That's I want to build it. But, then I, but then I get to cut the ribbon of the, that, Success that, um, that hospital and it feels really good. So, um, yeah, it's like now the bigger question for me is like, you know, there's a rock at the top of the mountain and, it needs to be pushed a tiny bit. And if it's just pushed that tiny, tiny bit, I probably won't even realize that I've pushed it because I might only move a millimeter, but that's going to be enough that it's going to slowly then move by 10% more each year, 10% more each year, 10% more each year. And then eventually a thousand years from now, it's going to suddenly start picking up momentum and rolling down the hill. And so I'm like, okay, cool. What do I want that rock to be? Or said differently, it's like, okay, cool. What pebble do I want to drop in the ocean with my life? And like, do I want to see the impact of some things? Like, yeah, like I'm human and I'd love to see some things, but also the bigger question. And that'll just be the byproduct of it anyway. Like if you're thinking in terms of a thousand years, the stuff you'll accomplish is like Elon Musk level. You know, he's thinking a thousand years ahead. He, the things he can see himself accomplish now is phenomenal. It's not like you're sacrificing anything to do that. And in fact, you'll actually achieve more in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and, and it, it it's... It's not that I want to build my life exactly around how I think about the world a thousand years from now, but it, it's that it, it gets me out of the default mode of thinking if someone asks me, what's my vision? And uh, yeah, man, I, I kind of like, <laughs> there's a part of me that's like, oh man, why did I just explain the theory of this question to Chris before I asked him it? But um, let's, let's uh, that's okay. I, I, it's kind of nice for if I end up, um, depending upon how I end up sharing all of this, that whoever does end up listening can be like, Oh, okay, cool. That's, that's why Andrew likes asking this question. But, um, 
let's get into it, man. Uh, I'll, uh, I just want to like slow things down for a second again, just because we've been talking really quickly. So if you want to close your eyes again, okay. deep breath out, I guess, get rid of whatever, whatever is in there. And, and then when you breathe out, deep, slow breath in for four seconds, roughly. Breathe it in, hold it at the top for a couple of seconds. And, uh, and then when you're ready, just breathe out. Keep your eyes closed. You can return your breathing to normal. And I want you to kind of let go just quickly of whatever you feel is the answer that you think will jump in your mind from, from me explaining the question to you. And, and kind of, if you can, try to just let go of our conversation in the past two to three minutes. And now I'm going to ask you a question. And the question I want to ask you is, if the world a thousand years from now was completely blank, everything that's on it at the moment was rubbed off, all of our systems, all of our processes, everything that matters was rubbed off. And this world was just completely blank and anything could be on it. Anything at all, man. Like, like when you, uh, when you're doing a magic trick with a magician and he gets you to reach into a bag and you're like, Oh, I didn't realize there was anything there. And then he pulls out a, maybe like a rainbow lorikeet or a bird or something. Anything could be there. And how you lived your life was the biggest thing that determined the world a thousand years from now. And it could look any way at all. How, how would you like it to look? What, what comes up for you? You can, you can open your eyes and I'm just keen to hear what, what comes up for you. Like, I would like it to look so that people aren't so like determined by, you're talking about social norms and stuff like that. And, um, that people were, I guess, taught the things that are going to lead them to the most fulfillment. And, you know, pro- probably that, probably the biggest things like the fulfillment and learning the stuff that, actually matters and actually is important to be, you know, happy and um, be fulfilled and by the end of your life instead of being ingrained like the world we live in so systemized and, and, um, and like the society system is ingrained and conditioning people and conditioned to, you know, value certain things over everything else where it's like things actually make you happy and progress and those things are so phenomenally enjoyable but we all get put, including myself, get pulled away from that back into like, you know, the things like day-to-day thinking, short-term thinking, instant gratification, significance, stuff like that. Like it's a constant battle between those two and to be able to make the transition or teach people in schools and stuff to, to you know, make the transition from not following what society or like, you know, the like that shitty negative condition that just leads a lot of people um, like unskilled or whatever, like emotionally and spiritually to deal with a lot of problems and leads them into like a negative depression. You know, if you focus on significance, you get really sad a lot of time, whereas you teach them a lot of things that just make them, make them happy, fulfilled and be able to push towards the things that actually can be meaningful by the time you die. Like that's so important and that's so valuable and that's so exciting, but that's, I feel like that's only available in a certain population of like the planet and the world, like you and me, like it's available in this conversation, but like we can't have that conversation with 80% of the planet. 80% of the planet like hasn't been taught or doesn't understand that those things provide like way more value to you and, and others around you. Does that make sense? 
like I could just have this conversation with fucking anybody and if I could dictate who I spend my time around, it will be all people like you and like people who are going to be on like Thailand trip, things like that. But we've put the time and energy and effort to get to source that outside of, you know, it wasn't like available like you learn math and science and shit like that. Like imagine if all the things we learned that's most valuable to us put in a fucking book or like put in curriculum, put them in school. Like how good would that be? Do you know what I mean? As opposed to Pythagoras there and learn how to handle your emotions. Like how much less fucking suicides would you have <laughs> over that? You know what I mean? Like that's such a cool aspect to life. And then, this, yeah, first 18 years of your life, you get like – when you hit 20 and 18 and 19, like agree or disagree, like you have to unlearn all the things you got taught and conditioned, right? And then you got to like canvas yourself and then recondition yourself. If that makes sense. In a thousand years, maybe just a society that promotes the right things in my eyes. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, to, to, to take everything you just said and, and draw it back to one thing, I love the thing the fact that you're talking about the most important things and, and letting go of instant gratification. And, and, you know, it seems like from earlier in a conversation that that comes back to like family, that that comes back to like having fun, that that comes back to what other things just, just quickly, like when you talk about the most important things, cause I don't want to just think of it in my head is, Oh, here's what I think the most important things are. That's what your answer is about. What do you mean by the most important things? Just like run a few off the top of your head. So, like um, long-term thinking for one, like the amount of people on this planet that don't think long-term, but again, agree or disagree, when when you personally or me personally think long-term, how much better do you feel about life? I feel fucking like I'm not stressed. I'm not anxious. I'm not like, but a lot of people like I run into and talk to, they think day-to-day, they think tomorrow, like this is going to have this huge impact and like build up the stress, anxiety, stuff like that. So thinking long-term, putting value towards like love and connection um, as opposed to significance, that makes me feel a lot better. Do you know what I mean? Working on what makes me happy and like understanding the fact that when you give love, you feel love and resetting your blueprint towards that. Cause a lot of people get anxious and stressed and like depressed because they're like, I won't feel loved because I'm not getting love. I'm like, okay, sweet. Imagine if you made your blueprint in your head, every time you give love, you feel love. So then you're in control of how often you feel love, which is something you do. Amazing. Like you feel loved all the time. Cause like, it can almost guarantee your blueprint for love is when I give love, I feel love. It's not when I, when somebody gives me love, I feel love. So you're like, fuck yeah. Like you're being selfish, which is fantastic. Cause you're like giving love. So you feel love, <laughs> which is fantastic. You know, yeah. so like stuff like that principles, like you don't just get taught that in fucking school and everything I'm trying to learn is geared towards like that yeah, sort man. of stuff. All the personal development stuff, you know what I mean? Thinking big, thinking long-term compound interest, uh, things that are going to uh, make a big impact on your life and your family's life as opposed to being depressed and sad and all the time. Do you know what I mean? I I love that. And uh, yeah, I don't know why, but what jumped into my head again, man, was this whole world where it's like one really long road and then parallel to the road is this river. Uh, and every like everyone has an identical house along this road, and every house has a jetty. <laughs> and all you see is like there's this there's this camera that's uh, fixed and uh, attached to a car, and it's slowly moving around throughout. Just like you're seeing everyone's house, and it's just all um, like families with the kid, and the kid's just like going fishing, oh, and then. Um, but it's like a, maybe it's like a nice turtle, like, like a friendly turtle. The kid's originally afraid, and then the kid's like, "Oh, it's a nice turtle," and then the turtle becomes a pet. And uh, yeah, dude, that's it, funny. 
this is this has been fun, man. Um, we can uh, we can uh, wrap up the the former part of this conversation here. But yeah, dude, Chris, thanks for coming on. Mate, man. thanks for thanks for having me on your podcast. I love to, the fact that like I can be on one to start with is really cool, and to be on something that you enjoy so much and like you know help you with your project because I know you do that for everybody else, and it just feels good to me too. If you enjoyed this conversation with Chris, there's no need to add him on social media. Rather, who in your life is similar to him or maybe very different from him? If you're up for it, it's now your turn to have a conversation. And if you need someone to connect with, head to hollowstranger.fm connect to get matched with another random listener. Remember, on the other side of hello, anything is possible. Thanks so much for listening. You can subscribe to Hello Stranger on wherever you get your podcasts. And if you happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, please take 30 seconds to leave a review. It makes a big difference. You can also stay in the loop on Instagram at Hello Stranger Podcast. One word, no dots or dashes. There's a bunch of posts there, including an update on the Magic Van. With all that said, the next conversation with John is truly something special. And I'll see you then. Bye.